Hey, Icon, it's good to be with you today on Sunday. I hope some of you were uh, hopefully at our first morning service in person last week. I hope you can keep coming to that. Even though you're watching the video right now, it means you're probably not there, but I would just encourage you keep coming back in person. It's so much more meaningful to be able to hear other people sing and to be able to take communion with other Christians and, and sit under the word. It's a totally different experience. And I would just encourage you to again and again and again, just re-up on that, uh, reforming that practice of being at service on Sundays. But for today, you're on the video. So we're going to, we're going to jump in right now. I'm going to pray and uh, we'll get into some of Romans 8. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I pray today for your word to cause a redirection in our hearts, God. A redirection of who we are and how we think. Not just what we think, but how we think and see the world. I pray, Father, that your spirit would unite your power with my weak words. Because I know that my words have no power to change hearts to convince minds, and to reform and reshape orientations back to you, God. And so I pray that even over this video, that your spirit would know these men and women and children who are watching or listening, and that you would do the work in their hearts that needs to be done to reorient them back to you, which is, as we'll see, life and peace. Father, would you help us today? We entrust this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the greatest privileges in parenting that I love and that I try to take as seriously as I can is, is the ability to, to take this blank slate of a child uh, and shape or direct his or her orientation to the world. That when, when we have kids, you know, we have, a, there's a lot of responsibilities and there are a lot, a lot of day to day type of things to do with our kiddos and keep them safe, keep them alive, like all that. But at a higher level, what we're trying to do, if we're paying attention as parents, is to actually give our children a worldview to, uh, through which to see the rest of the world. And not just the rest of the world, but themselves and even their relationship with us and, and their relationship to God, that we are given this kind of blank slate in order to build and build and build this child into something that would be successful and uh, full of character and integrity and hopefully faith in God. And so for us, my wife and I, Courtney, we, we try to do that in some very specific ways. Obviously, like I said, there's day-to-day -day things that you just kind of get, you get, you, you get lost in the whirlwind and the, in the chaos. But there's some practices that we try to put into the day-to-day -day in order to kind of shape the orientation and the worldview of our kids, how they're seeing themselves, how they're seeing us, and, and how they're seeing God. So one example is that uh, every night when we uh, are putting our kiddos to bed, every single night, so far for every day of their life, we, we go through this little, uh, you know, bedtime rhythm of reading a story and praying, doing like a memory verse. But then what we do is we uh, try to get their attention, specifically my three-year-old, try to get her attention. And every single night we speak a blessing over her. And then we have a different one for my son. But for my daughter, we just say, Margo, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. And we do that every single night for a very specific reason. And that reason is that there are days 
that are so much fun with her where she's obedient and we're having fun, but then there's days that are absolutely terrible, that it seems like our daughter has been possessed in some sort of way and there's no restraining her. Like she's, she seems like the, the demoniac in, in the gospels who can't be constrained by any sort of chains and is hurting yourself. And so you, if you have a three-year-old or have had a three-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and what we want is that on the good days and on the absolutely terrible days when Margot disobeys or when mommy and daddy get it wrong and get mad in our discipline, we want to end our day speaking a blessing over her so that she knows no matter what the day looked like, I can go to bed knowing that my parents want good for me. Whether they screwed it up or not, or whether I was a disobedient and angry and terrorist type of child, I still have the blessing of my parents. And we're doing that to, to orient her to us, to see that, no, we're here to love you. And no matter how much we screw it up, no matter how hard you may be some days, our basic fundamental orientation to you is blessing. We want you to feel the blessing of God, to see his face and to have peace and in that hopefully shape her orientation to us full of trust and love. And then in some other ways we do it is like anytime that uh, Margo, my daughter, gets hurt or if she, you know, like does something wrong or bad and has to get some sort of discipline, I always, I get down and I, I take her by the shoulders and I have her repeat this, Margo, I am strong. I am brave, I am kind, I am loved. And I want her to get those, those four phrases in her mind for her to be able to see herself that Margot, you are brave. I, you, you are hurt right now and it's good for us to cry and feel the hurt, but also you are brave and you are strong. You can be strong in this moment that weakness is good, but fear does not have to rule you. And that you can be kind. You don't just have to have a strength that is bullying and overpowering of others. But no, you have a, a kindness towards others. And then fundamentally, who you are, Margo, is that you are loved. And so we do these things, these practices that come into our day-to-day -day life with our kids in order for them to have an orientation to us of, uh, of trust, knowing that we want to bless them, and even an orientation to themselves that, no, so Margot can have kind of shaped into her psyche that she is brave. She can be brave. She does not have to be fearful. She can be strong, and that strength looks different in a lot of different ways. She can be kind and loving and gentle, and she can rest in the fact that she is loved. That's one of the great privileges as a parent that we have, to shape that orientation. And this is because orientation, how we are orienting ourselves to the world and toward our lives, changes everything about our lives. It changes everything. Everything in modern psychology has been saying this for a, a, about a decade or so. It's finally catching up with the Bible, as we'll see in a little bit. But Dr. Carol Dweck recorded one of the most watched TED Talks in 2014 on a growth mindset. A growth mindset showing that how you view challenges and, and how you view what seems like unsolvable problems changes whether you eventually solve that problem or whether you eventually get past those challenges. So how, not just what you think, but how you think changes your life. 
And this is what Paul is exhorting for us in these few verses. So earlier in Romans 8, he made a comment on being released from the principle of sin and death. Do you remember it? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So he says you've been brought into the good news of the gospels that you've been brought into the, the realm under the, under the principle of the spirit of life. Rather than the sin and the death that reigned over you before, like he talked about in Romans 6. Rather than that, you've now been, you've been freed from that into this new life of the spirit. And before he, so that's kind of like our existence as Christians, we, we exist in the realm of life by the spirit. And he, in, in this text, he kind of picks back up on that and he gives almost this middle step for us to take between existing in the realm of the spirit of, of life rather than sin and death. And over here, the actual practice in our real lives, he gives this middle step right here. That goes from existence to practice. And what it is, is mindset. That before you can enact in your real life, the, the new principle of the Holy Spirit giving life to you in obedience to God, before you can do that, you have got to focus on how you think. How you see the world. And Paul uses this unique Greek word when he talks about the, the mind, which is phronema, to get this across. And so Romans 8 is actually really unique. This is the only part in the New Testament in which phronema is actually used. It's used a number of times, but it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. So we, we should clue in. And what, what that is, what that word means is, is not just intellectual activity. As the commentator Douglas Moo says, phronema includes intellectual activity, but goes beyond it to involve the will also. The phronema is our fundamental orientation, the convictions and heart attitude that steers the course of our life. So before we can take this step, to embody in our real lives a freedom from sin and a closeness with God through the Spirit, Paul says here, we have to address what our fundamental mindset, our phronema, our orientation is. And Paul gives two options for that mindset in this text, right? You either have a mindset that is set on the flesh or a mindset that is set on the spirit. And so today, what I, what I want us to go through in this text is, and, and to see is the importance of directing our mindset, of taking hold of it, of taking action with it, and then also see the consequences that Paul connects with having a mindset either on the flesh or on the spirit. So let's, let's jump into that. First, directing our mindset, the, the importance of that. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So here Paul gives a connection between our mindset and our lifestyle, and I want to zero in on, on a couple words here. First, Paul uses the language of set. He uses the 
action of setting your mind. And this is the Greek word phrenousin, which means to give careful consideration, to give very intentional, careful consideration to something. And this is important for us to see because we can run through this text and we can just think, okay, cool. I just got to, I got to reorient my mind to the things on the spirit and the things on the flesh. But, but Paul says here, you have an action to do that your mindset, you can't just recognize that your mindset and orientation drives how you live your life. You also, before that, have to see you can change and redirect what that mindset is. Not only can you, but you should. And this is important because I think there's this, there's this weird default thought that our mindsets or our orientations to the world and to God are fixed. That they're, that they're static and stuck, unchangeable, unmovable, can't influence them. But that's not true. We're not victims of how we think. We're not victims of how our mind works. We can actually redirect and re, as we pay attention to what our mind is giving its attention to, which we'll get into in a second, we can redirect it. And that's, that's important for us to see that you have the option to change not just what you think, but how you think about the world. How you think about the world. Modern psychology has, has actually tapped into something true here, that you are able to, re- to direct not only what you think, but how you think. That's what so much of the self-help and self-acceptance and modern pop psychology revolves around is changing not just what you think through mantras and things like that, but those things trying to do in you a, a fundamental change of how you think, of being positive rather than negative, right? That that's all what that comes back to, changing how you think. And Paul actually agrees with that truth because he tells us that before our mindset influences our life, we have to influence our mindset. Before we see that our mindset influences our real life, we have to see that we can influence our own mindset, our own orientation on how we think. And to do that, how do do we do that? How do we begin to change our orientation? How do we begin to change our mindset? He says, set your mind. And what that means is the means of attention. That's the action that Paul calls us to here, is to change what you are attending to. Remember, through nows and to, to give careful consideration or attention to something. And so the way that we begin to change our mindset is through what we give our attention to. Because our attention defines how we think and what we experience. I mean, think about it here in Seattle. When it is in the, the winters here in Seattle, which can be brutal, absolutely. But I, I found this last year that one of the things that really helped me uh, was, you know, from like mid-October up through the end of December was just to focus on the season that we were in, that it was the holidays and there's, there's fun things about it. And so, yeah, it, get dark, it, it gets dark at 4.30 p.m. It's pitch black. But also, look at these Christmas lights, or let's go home and watch this movie, and the cold and wetness and dreariness kind of 
transforms into this cozy feeling. And now that's another story when you get to January and there's nothing to look forward to anymore. But one of the ways that I was helped to, to, to enjoy actually the Seattle winter was to change what I was giving my attention to. That instead of focusing on the dreariness and how quickly it got uh, just pitch black outside, focusing on, oh no, this is the season of the holidays. Or even focusing on going, going on a hike instead of thinking about the gray skies, looking at the bright green moss that just like captivates your attention. That changes what you think, how you think about the Seattle winter. And so your orientation to the world is the result of what you give your attention to. What you give your attention to is what will change how you think it's attention is how you set your mind on the things of the spirit rather than the things of the flesh. And this is important for us because attention is the commodity in our modern technological age. That's why we have viral videos and viral tweets. What is that? Anything more than just the attention economy? Look at me, look at me, look at this view, this, Watch this, stream this, binge this. Our whole world is fighting for our attention and that matters. <laughs> listen, listen to this from Tony Rinke in his book, Competing Spectacles. And I've shared a little bit of this quote before. And this is, this is a longer quote, but I want to go into it and give a little explanation. So what is, what is attention and why does it matter? Listen to him on this. Attention is the skill of withdrawing from everything to focus on some things. And it is the opposite of the dizziness of the scatterbrained spectacle seeker who cannot attend to anything. Thus, attention determines how we perceive the world around us. Millions, millions of items of the outward order or world are present to my senses, which never properly come into my experience. Why is that? So right now you're sitting in a chair, but you didn't really notice that you're sitting in a chair until I just said that. Why is that? Because they have no interest for me. My experience is what I agree to attend to. Only those items which I notice shape my mind. Without selective interest, experience is an utter chaos. Of the many possible things that you could fix your mind on right now, you have chosen to attend to one thing, this sentence. It's a book. Thus, this book is primarily shaping your life right now, not the 100 other things around you that you must now ignore. That's attention, which means that we must learn the art of refocusing a wandering mind because the faculty of voluntarily bringing back a wandering attention over and over again is the very root of judgment, character, and will. In other words, and he sums it up here, tune in. Attend to this. In other words, we're not simply creatures of our environment. We are creatures shaped by what grabs our attention. And what we give our attention to becomes our objective and subjective reality. And so Tony Rinke here is, is pointing something out that your life is not even rooted in first what you love and who you love and all these like your life and the reality in which you walk, how you think about your life, your orientation to the world is first determined 
by what you give your attention to, which is why the Apostle Paul here gives the command, not the suggestion, the command, set your mind on the Spirit. If you set your mind on the flesh, which we'll talk about that in a second, if you set your mind on that, it's going to drive how you think about yourself, how you think about God, your relationships. But if you set, if you choose to give your attention to the Spirit, that's going to change how you think as well. That's going to reorient you back into this realm of the Spirit that he talks about. And so I want to ask the question, what do you give your attention to? Take an honest look at your life and answer this question honestly. If my attention drives my life, is my attention on the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? Do, it, do an audit. Do an audit of your life that really looks at what am I giving my attention to? What am I filling, not just my time, but my mind with? What am I always thinking about? What am I always looking forward to doing or watching or reading? What am I giving my attention to? And Paul, Paul doesn't suggest a ratio on how much attention to give to the flesh and how much to the spirit. He exhorts us to set our entire mindsets on the spirit. And so we often, when we, you know, when you answer that question, you might think in, in the category of like, you know, okay, so how much time do I spend reading the Bible and how much time do I spend praying? And, oh yeah, there's other things that I spend time focusing on this or this or this. And you begin to divide it, divide it up into ratios. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about that even in your day-to-day -day life, even as you're watching Netflix, even as you're going to the job, even on your commute, what is the, the fundamental thing that's always rolling in the back of your head that you could always be thinking about, that you can always bring to your attention? Is it something that has to do with the flesh, which we'll define that word in a second, or is it something that has to do with the spirit? What are you giving your attention to? What is your default focus in life? Is it the things of this world? Even good things? Or is it of the Spirit? Is your, is your mindset, your default thought, soaked in the Spirit, directed to the things of God? Or is it set on the things of this world? And this is an urgent question for you to answer. It's an urgent task for us as Christians. Why is that? Look at what he says in the next verses. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What you give your attention to, what your default thought is, has real life consequences. Real life consequences. That's why this isn't a suggestion for Christians. 
The Bible doesn't make suggestions. It makes life or death commands. It holds out to you an invitation and an offer that connected to it is always either the way of life or the way of death. And the way of death is to have your mind, your fundamental orientation, the thing that you give your attention to, set on the flesh. And why does that lead to death? Why, Why does Paul connect the mindset on the flesh as being connected to death? Well, to answer that, we got to think about what the flesh is, and I don't want to get too much into that because we're gonna we're gonna cover that next week in the in the verses after that. But but it helps us to know that the flesh is Paul's term for the whole human campaign to live separated and in opposition to God. I want to say that again. The flesh. Paul isn't talking about your physical flesh here. He said, he, you know, he, he has this one Greek word that, that's uh, sarks, and he uses that on all different types of meanings. And in this, he's not talking about your physical flesh. He's not even talking about the the, the sinful flesh in, in terms of like, you know, we always think about sexual morality when we think about that. No, what Paul's saying here, what Paul is referencing here when he talks about the flesh is the human campaign to live separated from God and in opposition to him. That's what Paul shows shows here, right? That's why the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It wants nothing to do with him. Not only does it want nothing to do with him, that it wants to live separated from God, but it wants to live in direct opposition to God. So not only, so the flesh doesn't say to God, no, thank you. It says no and does the exact opposite of what God would want. We want to make ourselves God. We don't, we don't want to politely live loosened from God. We want to live in rebellion to him in the flesh. And it's no surprise that that would lead to death. It's no surprise that that, that, that would end in death and not go well for us. Listen to uh, John Webster. Sin deforms human life, which always leads to suffering. We cannot hope to despise God and his ways and remain authentically human. Yet, the singular history of the human race is that we do just that. Break loose from God, tear up our roots in his life-giving presence, and then wonder why it hurts. Sin ruins us. The fleshly campaign to live apart from God in sin ruins us. And so we shouldn't wonder why it hurts. And this is the question I always want to ask those who are rejecting Christianity and think that life centers around radical autonomy and self, which is the way of the flesh. I just want to ask, how, how's that working out for you? Honestly, yeah, you have moments where you doing what you want to do feels great, feels good. You feel free. And yet there is always a price to be paid. There's always a consequence that comes back around. Whether that's a physical consequence or a mental and emotional one, that sin, living separated from God and in opposition to him, never goes well. We, like John Webster says, tear up our roots from his life-giving presence and then we wonder why it hurts. (laughs) So the way of the flesh, how's that working out for you? 
What's that leading you to? Maybe there's a reason why our culture that is obsessed with radical autonomy and self is also the most therapeutic generation ever. Maybe it's as though the more and more we've run and run and run and run away from God and buried our lives into ourselves, we found that what's there is not pretty, is not good, is not leading us in the way of life. And so what's the better way? The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Why, why, is, why is this the better way? Why is, the, why is the mindset on the spirit have the better consequence of life and peace? Well, I think we can understand that if we just insert the opposites of the verse that follows. So the verse after that, the, so the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What if we switch those out? The mindset on the spirit is submissive to God, for it submits to God's law. Indeed, it can't help but do so. Those who are in the spirit can please God. This is, this is the way of peace because it leads us into submission to God. And I know that seems like a very dirty word in our culture, but it is what we were made to be to submit to God that we, at our core, fundamentally are creatures. We are not creators first and foremost. Yeah, we recreate things and we create culture, all that, but fundamentally, who we are at our core is creatures of a living God. And that means that we find our peace, we find the truest sense of fulfillment for ourselves when our lives live in that grain. When our lives match up with that grain, when we're walking with the grain of the universe as creatures submitting to this God who is full of goodness and generosity and love. He's not even a terrible God like you see in the other ancient Near Eastern religions. You see a God who is full of love and goodness and generosity, who gives you this abundant world to, to love and to create in and to show his glory in. That this God, that, that's the good way. That's the way of life and of peace because it matches up with who we actually are as creatures. Living submitted to God, pleasing God with our lives as we offer them up to him in love and in devotion, in humble service to say, God, you're the one. You are God. I am not. And the more and more I try to be God, the more and more I ruin myself. When I sit down on that throne, I am headed towards destruction because I can't handle it. I can't run my own life. I am a terrible God, but I, but I, I don't have to be a, a God. I can be a creature. I can let you be all in all. Oh God, and in that find my proper lane, <laughs> find my, my life that I was meant to live in submission to this God of generosity and goodness as a creature. So that's what the spirit does. The spirit brings life and peace because over time, the spirit restores back into our life the, the place in which we were made to thrive 
as creatures submitting to this good God. And it all starts with how we set our minds. That the way of peace and the way of life by the Holy Spirit starts by focusing your attention back on all that he wants to say, all that he wants to do in your life, all that he wants to lead you in. It starts with your attention. But friends, I, I, I want to point back just a little bit in closing to Romans 8, what Paul first gives his attention to, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To set the mind on the Spirit is not to first even set your mind on submitting to God. Because the Holy Spirit is there to, yes, lead us in that way, but also to direct our hearts to Jesus, to, to look at him. And so if you want to set your mind on the Spirit, first set your mind on Jesus, the one who the Spirit wants to raise in your heart and glorify in your heart. That's the way that we first redirect our attention. That's the first mover in our thought process going back to God, going back to that good and peaceful way of the Spirit, is that we look to Jesus. That's the whole reason why we're even in this new principle or law of the spirit of life, right? Back in verse two, what does he say right before it? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's what we're talking about. And then he goes right into the gospel. He explains the new reality of Christians living under the principle and realm of the spirit and life. And he says the reason for that for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing him in his cross, bearing the penalty of our sin, and giving us the fullness of his righteousness is the foundation for our lives being set on the Spirit. It's the explanation for why that's even possible. So for today, I do want you to focus your attention on the things of the Spirit. And in order to start that, in order to begin to change your attention away from the human campaign of rebellion in the flesh, you first have to see the gospel of Jesus Christ that even makes us want to change what we are giving our focus to. The gospel wins our hearts first so that our minds can be reoriented. So friends today, think about where you're giving your attention to. And before you begin to feel guilt and shame and compulsion to go change it up, first look at Jesus. Let your heart fall back in love with him that he would be so gracious to you to take your place to give you security, though all the ways that you have tried to live in rebellion to God. Look at that first. Attend to Jesus first. And then you'll see how the rest of your life can be reoriented in your real life back to things of the Spirit. Not in a way that you're trying and compulsively uh, working into your life, but simply looking at Jesus falling in love with him more and more and more and watching by the power of the spirit, your attention refocused and reoriented. That's the first step 
in this way of life and of peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a freedom that you offer from this poor and pitiful and in the end painful mindset that is set on the flesh. We have indeed been released from the wrong mindset to be thinking now in terms of the Spirit, to be looking through the world through the lens of what the Holy Spirit would do in our life, the, the peace that he would want to bring. But we are released from it, not, just, not, not, not because we're able to do it ourselves, but because Jesus has released us. That our mindsets and worldviews were at, at, at one point constrained by sin, still caught in the flesh, still totally enslaved to that terrible campaign of rebellion against you. But Jesus came and rescued us, paid the price for our sin, and ransomed us out of that terrible campaign, bringing us back to you reconciled. And now we get to live this new life of progressively more and more and more reorienting our focus back to you, God way of life and peace back to submitting to you as creature where we find our good life. Father, would you by your spirit exalt Jesus in our hearts that we might first fall in love with him afresh and from there have our minds happily, submissively reoriented on the things of the spirit. We love you and we entrust these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.